What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Our Lives in Medicine. This episode features Jasmine Chandy, medical social worker. Jasmine is a medical social worker at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. She actually reached out to me, and I'm so thankful that she did. She's the first representative of medical social work on the podcast, and there's so much to be learned from her knowledge and experience. And as Jasmine wisely reminded us all, it's important to reflect on our interactions and analyze ways we can adapt and improve so that we continue to grow as practitioners. Check out this really informative and fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy. And if you do, please share the episode with others. Also, please like us on Instagram at Our Lives in Medicine and comment on the things you enjoyed and topics you'd like to hear in future episodes. And as always, if you need some good beats to study or get some work done or just catch some good vibes, make sure you listen to the intro and outro beats and tune into the show notes for the artist shoutouts. I hope you enjoy, and I hope you have a great day. I am just super happy to have you on. I really enjoyed our phone convo a while back, so Thank I'm you. excited to have you on. You're our first social worker representative. Yeah, I'm excited about that. No pressure, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Hopefully I can offer a little bit of knowledge. Oh, I definitely think so. So, but uh, And so we were talking earlier, you're in Chicago currently, right? Yes, exactly. Chicago, Illinois. How long have you been there? So I have lived here all my life. I've lived in like a suburb near Chicago, so just like 35 to 40 minutes away. Um, but I work in the city and I went to school in the city, so I've been here all my life, actually. Okay. How do you like it as an adult versus as a kid? Ooh, that's a good question. I love it. I feel like as a kid, I didn't really spend much time in the city. It was always in the suburbs, but... I really appreciate it. I feel like it's always been very diverse growing up in elementary school as well as like going to college um, and grad school. It's always been very diverse. So definitely appreciated that, that getting older. Where did you go to college? So I went to UIC, the University of Illinois at Chicago for undergrad. And then I went to Loyola University in Chicago for grad school. Oh, sweet, sweet. Yeah. Now. Now, I've been to Chicago twice, and the first oh, cool. time the first time was for a wedding. It was really nice, but I get motion sickness really easily. And so after the ceremony, we rode around taking like wedding party photos, and oh. I got progressively like more and more motion sick as we were on the bus. And so by like the last picture, I'm just kind of trying to keep my eyes open and not Oh no. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, it was terrible. What a memory. So, like, I know, yeah. right? I mean, the rest of the wedding, once we got to stationary ground, was great. But, um, and then the second time, I was there last year, uh, last academic year at least, or 
maybe it was third year of med school. I can't remember, but for a conference, but it was a whirlwind. I mean, I flew in at night, presented in the morning, and then I left at like noon. So it was like a oh, quick whirlwind. Oh, yeah. Barely counts. Yeah. Oh, Did you come no. like in the summer both times? Uh, summer for the wedding. It was like fall for the presentation. And then I actually gotcha. did my did my board exam there like a week oh. after the polar vortex. I forgot about oh, that. Oh, yeah. I was, was going <laughs> to ask if you came around that time. Yeah. <laughs> So this couple, me and two other med students, we walked like not even an eighth of a mile down the street to get food or something. And by the time I got there, they were like, why are you crying? And I realized my tear ducts had frozen and were thawing out when we got in the house. Whoa, I didn't know that <laughs> happens. Oh my I gosh. didn't know that either. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I know. You see a lot of crazy things like that. And I don't know the science behind this, but I remember once walking to the gym during that polar vortex and my um headphones like the wires just straightened and stiffened and i like have no idea how that happened i don't know the science behind it but that was probably one of the coldest days oh man yeah that sounds terrible that's like losing <laughs> motivation yeah. i don't yeah. know I, I just don't do well with cold that's why i went to florida for med school <laughs> i was like i gotta get oh, out of here see? yeah that's nice that's like nice and consistent i feel like pretty Although much I did. Yeah, it was cool. Although I did fly directly from Florida to Chicago for that uh, board exam. And that was, whew, that was a culture shock. <laughs> See? Yeah. Yeah. I know. So but cool. I do love that it's like, there's very distinct seasons. Although I feel like our winter is pretty long. The <laughs> um, winter so is cold. very distinct. <laughs> yeah, it's very distinct. It's very cold. Um, but we have nice, distinct seasons. Like you have the fall time, summer, spring, winter, um, so, which is nice to have some changing seasons i bet i bet i I remember too when i got i got we got an uber during the polar vortex time and it was this polish guy and he was uh i don't mean to single out the race it's just he told us very he was very proud to be polish and he was wearing like a light windbreaker and shorts (laughs) yeah i know that's so funny yeah (laughs) so i was like man i'm definitely not from here he was like oh yes you can tell So that was good. That was good. But yeah, so what was uh, what was like college at UIC like? Oh, man, I loved it. It was so great. I had a lot of friends and family that went to that university as well. So I just I feel like I didn't really, really need a lot of time to warm up. I was already around people I felt very loved and comfortable with. So it was awesome. But I studied um, biology and Spanish as an undergrad. Um, and then social work in grad school and so like science was always my weakest subject so I feel like a lot of undergrad was just learning how to learn Um, and I definitely learned a lot of skills that I appreciate and that I have now but yeah I definitely learned a lot in undergrad Um, and yeah it was a really good experience I loved it. What skills did you come out of undergrad with that you didn't have going in? Oh, okay. So especially in terms of studying, um, I think like when I first started, I would make like these beautiful notes and take so much time like note taking. And it took me a while to realize that like the bulk of learning happens when you're reviewing your information. And so <laughs> yeah. by the, yeah, and I didn't know that in the beginning. So by the end of undergrad, I feel like I was on this mission to make like the sloppiest notes possible and to just review as much as I can. Um, so I would like record lectures and listen to them on the way to class and on the way back and then like listen to it again when I got home and then review my notes. I did a lot of reviewing and that helped me a lot. Um, 
Yeah, that was key for me, not worrying so much about making notes perfect and just taking my time reviewing. Were you one of those uh, college girls that had like the box of 15 different colored pens and stuff? <laughs> yeah, I would be. A lot of highlighters, a lot of note oh, cards. I was God. one of those. Yeah. Those, like, those girls terrified me. <laughs> was, was, it's all, like, it means nothing. <laughs> that's very intimidating like to look over. I, I, I always just use black, black ink and blue ink. I would always so I'd, yeah. like, write the big header in black and then I'd just take the note in blue. And I was like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm being very productive. And I look over and there's like, okay, like red highlight with like a pink line in it. I'm like, oh God, I'm not doing this right. <laughs> yeah, but it took me years to realize that the way to go is with black and blue and all those colors. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> there was a there was a meme I saw one time that said, "If the girl with the fifteen different highlighters looks at the test and goes, oh no, then you're in trouble.'" <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> That's funny, though. So then you studied, you did bio and Spanish in undergrad, you improved your skills. And then what made you decide, okay, now I'm going to jump into social work? Yeah, so that was like a long journey of just like reflecting and figuring out what I wanted to do. So I feel like entering undergrad, I chose biology because just like a lot of my friends and family were entering science fields, and I didn't really think much about it. I was like, okay, I guess that's just part of the part of the path. So I studied bio um, and Spanish, and from the beginning, I kind of knew that that's not exactly what I wanted to be doing and how I wanted to serve others. Um, and I, I think I mentioned this on the phone as well, but like I, my mission in life was always clear, and that was to show people that they're valued and understood, and I just wasn't sure how to do that. So throughout undergrad, I remember going to like a career counselor and making lists. And when I say I, I definitely mean myself and like my support system and people um, that are near and dear to me. And every time we would make a list or have a conversation, social work just kept coming up. Um, And so my senior year of um, undergrad, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to just take a couple years, get my master's in social work and just give it an honest effort and see how I like it. And then once I entered the field, I just loved it. It was so cool. It was so cool to be in a classroom um, and to learn information that was just so close to my personality and like the kind of person I want to be. Um, it was great. So where you said, when did you come up with the idea of, I want to show people that they're valued and understood? Yeah. So when I was in high school, I used to volunteer at this nursing home near my house. And I was an activities volunteer, which basically just meant you would like lead different games and socialize with the older adults and um, even just like sit down and have a snack and that kind of thing. And so there was one day I was there and there's a media room and there were all these older women in this media room watching this black and white movie. And everyone was like having a blast and having like conversations with each other and everyone was having a good time. But there was this one woman in like the corner of the room who didn't seem to be talking to people and no one really seemed to be talking to her. And so, you know, like natural human inclination is to, of course, like go and talk to that woman. And so I don't even remember what we talked about, but we just had a conversation and cracked some jokes. And at the end of that conversation, she was like, thank you. You're the first person that talked to me all week. And I used to volunteer on a Friday. And so that just like really struck me. Um, And so from that moment on, I'm like, okay, I want to make sure to show people that they have value and that they're understood. And so that just stuck with me. And I 
I knew that's what I wanted to do. That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. you know, seeing her sitting there by herself, just like you said, human intuition, let's go talk and engage and make sure they're okay. Cause you're there for that purpose. So that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing think... what just one conversation can do to like validate someone, you know? Yeah. It's like you hear those stories from, you know, kids in undergrad who will say they were walking into their dorm with the intent of jumping off the balcony or jumping off the roof. But on the wow. way in, someone was like, Hey man, how's it going? And then that yeah. just little bit of interaction helped kind of bring them back. So every yeah. little bit helps. Yeah. yeah. And how sad is that? No one talked to her all week. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. I know. I agree. Man. I think we should get that put on a t-shirt, show people that they're valued and understood. Yeah. And actually going back to like how, you know, I went to grad, like, um, just like realized how much I loved it. It's like I told you that was just so clear to me for a while. And I remember one day in grad school in my like social work and healthcare class, my professor was like teaching us about something. And in the middle, she's like, you know, I really feel it's about showing people that they have value and that they're understood. And then my jaw dropped. I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. It's like, that's always been so clear. It's so, so cool. <laughs> I feel that way too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's how you know you got a good professor. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So then what are interviews to get into medical social work like? Yeah. So... Yeah, so I think it would be helpful to talk a little bit about just like the process. So social work itself is like, it's all about just promoting an individual's well-being um, and trying to address problems on the micro level, meso level, and macro level, right? So micro being with like a person and their family, meso, communities, schools, organizations, and then macro policy. And so for getting into like, something more specific you first start off with like the same core social work education um, and then when you're in your master's you can specialize so you can specialize in health or with children and families or um, nonprofit organizations so if you want to become a social worker in a healthcare setting then like you would choose something like that in your master's program and then once you complete that you're eligible to take your licensing exam so then you take your licensing exam. Once you pass that, you're a licensed social worker, and then you can you can start to work in a hospital setting. Um, and then you can, of course, take that further, get supervision hours and become a licensed clinical social worker, which would allow you to do like one-on-one -on -one therapy, um, even have like a private practice if you wanted to. And then you can further it from there as well to get like a doctorate in social work or a PhD in social work. Mm, okay sweet that yeah. sounds awesome so yeah so you picked medical social work correct yeah yeah what if you don't go let's say you graduate social work you kind of just described it a little bit but what are some other venues besides like medical if you hadn't picked medical what would be some options for you yeah so um you can specialize with children and families you can specialize in mental health substance use disorders you can, in our school, we had like leadership. So like working on more policy related things. Um, you can work in a school. It's really cool, it's so broad. And so like you can start off with a bachelor's in social work, which will give you just like the basic kind of concrete social work knowledge. Um, and then that will prepare you for like an entry level job. And then from there, once you get your master's, you specialize in like any of those fields. And so there's social workers everywhere. I mean, there's social workers 
in hospitals, in schools, in other organizations um, that work for like government agencies, they even have some at like police departments. Um, I think in like New York, they have social workers at public libraries as well, because there's a lot of people who are homeless who will spend their days at the library. And so a social worker can, can come in and kind of figure out what the needs are. So um, just like how they try to help solve problems on so many different levels, you see them everywhere working in a different capacity. Okay, awesome. So diverse. And then even I'm assuming within medical social work, you go down that avenue, it's also very diverse within there, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What are some avenues you decide? Okay, you decide medical, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. You decide, oh, you decide medical social work. What are some avenues you can go into from there? Yeah, good question. So um, once you uh, you choose like to go into social work in a healthcare setting, that work looks really different depending on like where you are in the hospital. So the training, the education, the licensing is all the same, but then you kind of sculpt your your knowledge and the delivery of your practice depending on where you are in the hospital. So if you're working inpatient versus outpatient for example if you're working outpatient in a hospital you might be doing more like long-term work with a patient whereas if you're inpatient you're doing work for just like the few days that the patient is in the hospital um, and then also like depending on like where you are so if you're working in like oncology as a social worker you might be offering more emotional support Whereas if you're working on like a rehab unit, you might be helping with more discharge planning. So the nature of your work kind of depends on where you're at in the hospital, but the education and training is the same. Ah, okay. Okay, sweet. Yeah. And so you kind of have that own, you have that choice yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Sweet. And when we talked on the phone, you told me that you just started kind of a new position. What were you doing before versus what are you doing now? Yeah, so um, in your social work training, so when you get your, during your like your master's program, you have like your classes and then you also have an internship at the same time. So my first level internship was working with children and families who are grieving a loss. So that was with a nonprofit organization and we did a lot of group therapy. And so I've worked with them for years. Um, mostly working with teenagers who are experiencing a loss by suicide. So like a parent, sibling, or close friend died by suicide and then offering group therapy for them. And then my second level internship was at a hospital on a general medicine unit for that area. A lot of what we did was like post arthroplasty. So helping a lot of older adults, but uh, we saw a bunch of ages but getting them to their next level of care. So getting them to a skilled nursing facility or home health care, whatever they needed. Um, so that was very different. That was a lot of, you know, figuring out what you needed, getting you connected to resources kind of thing. Um, and then now for like the past year, I work at Rush University Medical Center in the health promotion and disease prevention team. And so what I do now is similar to what I explained before, like the meso level of social work. So trying to uh, help alleviate problems on the community level. So what we do is we try to implement different programs and initiatives out in the community to increase access to health care and improve um, health outcomes. Uh, okay. Uh, did yeah. You, there we go. Sorry. I thought I dropped out for no, one second. Okay, sweet. So what does it kind of look like day to day right now for you? 
Yeah, so it's very different, of course, with everything going on. So with the work I'm doing now, it's, um, you know, that mezzo level social work. And we work primarily with older adults in the west side of Chicago, trying to offer different programs. So on typical days, like we might be going out into the community, offering like a free workshop or um, we also offer like fit, free fitness classes if needed, um, lectures that are free and done by like physicians within our hospital. Again, just to promote the understanding and education around like how to improve your health. So yeah, we typically offer those workshops, lectures, exercise classes, support groups. And for these past several months, we've worked on just moving everything virtually because of, you know, obviously everything that's going on right now. And so that's been a new challenge because working primarily with older adults, um, there's many that just don't own a computer or don't use a computer. So we've been doing a lot of strategizing to figure out how to get people connected and get people um, connected to whatever classes or events they want to get connected to. Um, and especially working with older adults, like social isolation is such a big deal. So figuring out how to keep people um, connected with each other and with programs. So my average day now, we've been working from home for about, um, I think it's like 101 days. <laughs> we just found out. Uh, so it's really? been a while. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Wow. March 17th, I think, was the first day we started working from home. And wow, so we, a long time yeah. ago this all started. Wow. Oof. I know. I know. I was so surprised when I heard that number, too. It doesn't feel like it. No, I um, thought it was like a month. <laughs> so wow, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, it's been a long time. But in that time, we've been able to move everything virtually. So now we have our lectures that we used to offer in person and there would be like 70 to 100 older adults that would come to learn about different health topics and so now we have that on zoom and it's live streamed onto youtube so we can just like send a link to our older adults they don't need to go through like a webex registration process they can just get on there right away and listen we have like support groups um fitness classes through zoom which is so fun to see like our older adults in their living rooms like doing yoga or something um, it's been so cool to see virtually. And then for everything that we offer, we also have like a dial-in option. So the participant can just call over the phone if they don't use the internet. So yeah, it's been a lot of like being on the computer the past several months. Yeah. Interesting transition, I bet. Yeah. Interesting. That sounds really cool though. It sounds rewarding to kind of be able to be hands-on figuratively, not literally still, and you yeah. know, still be able to make a difference. That's awesome. Yeah. So obviously without, you know, breaching patient confidentiality or anything, what would be some maybe common kind of scenarios that come across your table? And then maybe what yeah. are some of the more like rare cases that stick out in your mind? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So I think that those problems that we run into really depend on like the environment. So where I'm at now, where we're working with older adults and in the community, the biggest problem would be like social isolation and um, older adults that are alone, which is such a like foreign concept for me. Like I know with my family and many of my friends and family, like our grandparents are like the center of the house. We have so many family members, but there's people out there where like they live alone and they don't have family and they don't have friends. So um, that would be one of the biggest issues that we're working with now is how to reach them and how to connect with them. And then 
working on an inpatient unit, I'd say one of the bigger issues was just trying to communicate and make sure that the the patient was the center of the healthcare team. And so oftentimes, like, I'm thinking back to like, for example, for discharge planning, and a family member may want the patient to go somewhere else. Um, and so being able to communicate, like, you know, the, the patient is able to make the decisions, they're alert and oriented times three, like, this is where they would like to go. What are your concerns? And how can we um, kind of figure something out that makes everyone happy? And so really just making sure that the patient is at the center. And that's like one thing I really loved about inpatient work too, is like in rounds as well, where we're, you know, have this hour where we're going through every patient with a physician like yourself and um, nurses, physical therapists, pharmacists, and we go through each patient and figure out what their needs are, um, what's coming up, how they're doing. And I think it's so cool to be a social worker in the environment because you can be the one to be like, wait, let's, Let's think about this from the patient's perspective. Like, what do they need right now? Why might they be, you know, ha acting in this way today? Um, it's really cool to kind of just reorient things to center around the patient. And then working in grief and working in those support groups, it's, you know, working in, in groups, the problem would be like with one person being that the one that like doesn't really want to pay attention or pay, like make jokes, which is of course just a manifestation of grief itself. Um, but like figuring out how to keep everyone together and make it a therapeutic process for everyone. Um, so it's really cool. Like in, in our, we've taken like an entire course on just doing group work and even like the smallest little things have, are so powerful. Um, but yeah. So I'd say like the problems are very different depending on the environment you're in. Yeah, absolutely. That's that sounds really fun. I mean, obviously there's yeah. going to be negative cases and negative right. scenarios, but even those, I feel like, I feel like you go home and you know that you tried. You know, you were probably the last step that they had to yeah. for before everything else fell apart, and you did your best. So that's yeah. uh, that's a cool job. That's a cool job. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's such a privilege too to get to like see people. Um, like break down or like even just give off their worst self to you um, I think it's just such a privilege to be able to like take your normalcy and like your balanced self and like enter someone else's ch like challenges and struggles I think it's just such a privilege to be even able to work in that way yeah absolutely and it's it's funny because <laughs> you reached out to me based on what I was talking about on another episode which was yeah. by the way thank you so much for doing that but it was like I was talking about I, I didn't really know the value I, I hate to say this but I didn't know the value of you know a social worker within healthcare yeah. as a, even a med student until I got to my third year rotations and I was in the yeah. hospital and I saw just Every time I needed something, I went to them and they were like, hey, they were never upset. Like, oh, God, here he comes again asking <laughs> for more stuff. You know, I'd always yeah. because there were no residents at my site. So it was just me and the attendings. Oh, wow. And I would go, you know, communicate with them during my rounds and make sure they had their ride set up or make sure they had their, you know, uh, medication paid for or provided, whatever. So it yeah. was cool. man. It was really it was a really important job. And I definitely yeah. grew to respect it. And even more so now just talking to you. Yeah, and honestly, I thought very similarly to you when I first started as well. Um, like when I first started my internship on the inpatient unit, why am I even here? This seems so clerical. I feel like all I'm doing is giving resources. <laughs> I feel like I don't really need um, to be like, you know, using my education to do this. And I didn't really understand the value of it either. But then like you would run into a patient who like 
really doesn't know how to be able to like dive in and figure out like okay what what does he need what does he have how can we get you connected um and like I remember this one patient and he like just couldn't afford to ride home he didn't have anyone who could drive him home and so we we're like working all day and then we realized that like his insurance covered some sort of transportation and it's, it was like such a simple task for me right to just like go into the room and let him know that like that was a possibility but like his face just like totally changed and he's like oh my god you really saved me I had no idea how I was going to get home and from that moment I'm like wait these like little resources and um, all those small things I didn't think were a big deal are actually like part of someone's life and um, even if it is just like a day-to-day kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of the things that we're fortunate enough to be able to take for granted, you know, those are things that are just day and life and week, you know, day, week and life changing for some people, you know, so that's, and that's your, and you're the gatekeeper. That's pretty cool. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool too. Oh, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Um, It's cool too, like working in an inpatient unit. I think one thing I really appreciated was that like, you're not only serving the patients but you're also serving the team and so like when um for example if a patient dies and like the nurses has been like working with this patient the whole time and then once everything is done they have to like move on to the next patient that's just like the nature of their work and and what's necessary um but like as a social worker you can also check in with that nurse and be like hey how are you doing like what do you need would it be helpful if I like came with you so I appreciate that aspect too that you're not only tending to the patient's needs, but also like the well-being of the team you're on. That's true. I feel like that often gets overlooked. You know, the nurse probably spends more time with the patient than the physician does. And so they grow a really strong bond and then they lose that person. It's devastating. You know, it reminds me of what I learned from one of the social workers. Actually, we had this uh, ortho trauma and it was this wife got hurt pretty bad. And, you know, I'd go in there and check on her every day. I'm rounding. And she told me, she was like, make sure you ask the husband how he's doing. Because he's probably, you know, this is his wife in there. And uh, yeah. you know, make sure you check on him. And as soon as I asked him, he was like, this is, this is so difficult. And it was, yeah. it was nice. He just, I, I, I had plenty of time. I'm a student, so I have time. So I, uh, I just sat and talked with them for a bit. And they were a really nice couple. So it was good to oh, learn good that little you. lesson. Yeah, and yeah. I take that with me from here on out. That one time, you know, she told me that. I've taken it with me, and it's been a great tool to use. So. Yeah. Do you feel like you're better able to, like, connect with your patients when you do that as well? Yeah, because I think what it does is, you know, I, I'm, I'm I trying to be as nice as possible to the patient, obviously, but then yeah. showing that it's not just a front. It's not, I'm not going to walk out of the room and, you know, talk crap about them. It's it's more like, hey, yeah. I hope I want to get you out of here and get you better. But also, right. this is tough on you, you know, the family, everyone involved, it's tough. So any friend yeah. that comes to visit, anyone, at least just say hi, you know, just to at least acknowledge them. Because I know some people don't. They'll just walk in the room, check the vitals and ask a couple of questions and walk out. Sure. So. I, you gotta you gotta check on everyone it's a i know i'd want that if i was with my mom in the hospital yeah good for you this is so telling to how you are as a physician but good job Um, (laughs) i appreciate it i feel like also just like being in that kind of setting it's just a reflection of the environment as well that like you need to just like be on your toes and get to the next one um and i feel like i realized that as well like when there's just so many people to get to and so many needs that need to be met Uh, it's like so easy to think that like you're going to work and like these people are putting on the role of a patient and like sometimes you just need to communicate to take a step back and be like 
wait, this is a person that like their normal life was disrupted and now they're at a hospital. Like, how can I get to know that person um, to better care for them as well? Yeah. Like for you and I going to the hospital every day is our, it's our jam, you know, that's our, that's our bread and butter. But for them, some people hope to never go, you know, and I think it definitely gets forgotten that this is maybe the worst day of their life, you know, for us, it's just work. (laughs) So it's, you gotta make sure you take care of them. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, when I was younger, I, even just having surgery, you know, outpatient surgery, I had a couple ortho surgeries outpatient. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, and as a funny side story, I'm, I apparently am terrible with anesthesia. So whenever oh. I wake up, I like freak out. I start yelling and screaming oh. and throwing stuff and cursing yeah. <laughs> really bad. I don't remember this, but I've been told. And, oh. but you know, they always just, I remember, I do remember kind of just getting calmed down, you know, and my yeah. mom will tell me after the surgery, like, wow, you are a psycho. You're lucky these ladies are nice. <laughs> <laughs> so gotta luck out, you know, everyone's had yeah. time. So yeah, exactly. What about like with you, you know, in the hospital setting now, what are kind of some of your interactions with other healthcare providers? Ooh, that's a great question. So right now I'm in the social work and community health department. So I'm mostly around other social work, um, which is like cool in and of itself because like everyone just had, they're working on a different capacity. So um, like I remember when I first started, like I'd hear people on the phone and they're like, oh, so you're thinking of harming yourself. Let's like, let's, let's talk this through. And someone else is like, oh, like you need to be connected to this. Like everyone's situation is just so different. So I feel like even just like listening to people's conversations, I was able to learn so much. Uh, But it's definitely more of like a petri dish of just social work itself, where I, the department I'm in now anyway. Um, But then like last year, as I said, it was more of like a multidisciplinary team. So um, working with like other professions, which I really appreciated because like everyone had to use their knowledge and their education to come together and figure out the best care for the patient. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. And so you get to now you don't have to deal with uh, the headaches of maybe talking to some of the doctors and stuff. That's probably good. <laughs> I'm missing out on the joy of talking to the doctors. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's such a hit or miss thing. Like, yeah. as a student, it'd be like, you know, one month I'm with like a really happy, bubbly attending. And then maybe just one week I'm like, and then the next week I'm with one of the descendings who's just miserable and is ready to oh, retire gosh. but but can't retire or you know whatever yeah. and then the, the next week i'm with the silent one and <laughs> they're not mean they're not nice <laughs> they just don't talk it's like so i'm all you can't over read the place, them so. yeah exactly so um, <laughs> hopefully you know when i have my own med students during residency i'll hopefully be the nicer one but you know yeah not soft if they mess up they gotta they gotta do push-ups or something but yeah if, uh, <laughs> you know not soft but not not just really mean either so yeah that's the plan. Yeah. Good balance. All Everything's about balance, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And like where I'm at now, like I'm with all these social workers, but it's always so fun to be in a room of social workers because everyone is just so nice um, and everyone just wants to like validate you. So it's like, it's like <laughs> a very, very comfortable environment to work in. <laughs> That's, I'm definitely going to go hang out with the social workers as much as I can. Then. <laughs> yeah, you should. Get told I'm doing a great job, you know. <laughs> yeah, whenever you're feeling down or like low confidence, just go see a social worker. That's really funny. So it sounds like it kind of uh, attracts a certain personality. Obviously, there's exceptions, but it sounds like it attracts a certain personality. For you getting that new job at Rush, what was what was the interview process like? Oh, yeah. So um, I think my case was a little different because I had a professor um, in 
in grad school and he worked at Rush. He's not a social worker. He worked in preventative medicine and um, he had brought in some of like some staff members from Rush into the classroom to talk about like what they do. And so he taught us about like doing an informational interview, which I hadn't, I didn't even know what that was before taking this class, but it's basically just like setting up a time to meet with someone um, somewhere where you would like to work and just sit down, learn more about the position and just like let them know what your eventual goals are um, with like the, the goal of you learning more about that position, but also for that position to keep you in mind as well when the time comes and you have your license. So anyways, like this professor had brought some of the social workers where I'm working now into the classroom um, and they told us a little bit about their work. And then later on, I like just sat down for a cup of coffee with my professor and just told him a little bit about my goals and what I was interested in and why I wanted to go into social work in a healthcare setting. And then I set up an informational interview with one of the social workers that came to our classroom. And then eventually they notified me that there was an opening. Um, and so then I interviewed with that person and then eventually got the job. So that kind of happened because um, I was exposed to it a little earlier. And so I got to network a little earlier and put in oh, all my sweet. effort yeah. in that way. There yeah. Um, but I think otherwise, like you would just get your license and and then apply just like usual, or like if you know someone working in the hospital, figuring out where there is an opening and then interviewing there. Okay, so you've been there for a bit. You've been around the block a bit as well. Let's say you're interviewing someone for a position in your department. What would be things you would look for? Oh, I like that question. Um, I would really want it to be clear that this person does enough like reflecting on why they want to do this career, um, like who they want to serve, the population they want to serve, why they entered the field. Um, and I feel like I'd really be looking for like sincerity in their answers. Um, I remember this one, one of our, one of the, the like social workers in, in like a leadership position in our department said something like, um, you can, you can always train someone with knowledge, but you like can't train their heart. Meaning like if someone's there for like the right reasons and they're motivated, um, like that's something that you can't necessarily give someone, but you can always teach them like the skills and the education needed to like do their job in social work anyway. Um, and I think that's so true. I feel like that's what I'd be looking for is just sincerity in their answers. Interesting. Yeah. That's sincerity alone. Like, do you want to be here? You know, and I feel like you can kind of yeah. filter that out. So that's important. Yeah. yeah that's definitely important. Sweet. Well, that's good to know that if, you know, anyone working there with you, they've uh, passed the test. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. So, well, what about in, you know, in this looking ahead to the future, what do you see for yourself as a practitioner down the road? Yeah. So I feel like these past few years have allowed me to really get to know different populations um, and different environments. And what I've learned is I love working with like kids and teens um, I also love working in the field of grief, um, and I love working in an inpatient setting. So I'd love to do something that combines all three. I can definitely see myself working in like a children's hospital, um, or like, you know, even if it's not like grief, but like working with children who are like going through um, cancer treatment, I think would be just so interesting. 
Um, so something along those lines. And then like further down in the future, I hope to go back to school and get um, my PhD in social work and then to teach alongside um, clinical social work out in the field. So what do you do? You, how do I put this? Are yeah. you required to get a PhD to teach or is that something that you just kind of want to do for the like, what are the benefits of getting the PhD yeah. versus just continuing with the master's? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, with your like if you have your master's, you have your license. So you're a, an LSW. Um, and then if you get your clinical hours and you're an LCSW, so licensed clinical social worker, that's like pretty much the farthest you need to go to like practice um, as deeply as you can. And so with that, there are some teaching positions that you can have, but having a PhD or a DSW, a doctorate in social work, would allow you to teach at the university level. Um, so I think like that would really um, inspire me to go back to school. But also I just like don't want to stop here. Um, I don't want to stop with just like my master's level education. I want to be able to take that further and keep learning. Um, so yeah, I would definitely be motivated to do it for that reason as well. Okay, got you. Sweet. So if you're you're teaching, what's your teaching style? Are you gonna be the hard ass? Or are you gonna be oh. kind of in between? What are you gonna be? <laughs> I oh, that's a really good question. I don't think I would be very tough or strict. <laughs> I feel like that's probably an area I can grow in. <laughs> um, but I think I wow, I don't know. But I'm like thinking of how I am when I'm like doing a group therapy like a group session with the teens. And I feel like I just try to crack jokes and make them feel comfortable and just like feed off of their energy. So I feel like I'd be the same way in the classroom as a teacher. Um, and I'd want to like make sure to be reading. I always appreciated when my professors would be like, oh, like I read this book and it was so great. Or like I read this article and it was so great. So I would hope to be like that as a professor as well to like recommend books and articles and just keep reading and keep learning. Um, and to make like the students feel excited to learn. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I feel like in, in school, like you just get so stressed out about the deadlines um, and the due dates and the grades. And so I would hope to make it like a really enjoyable environment where they remember why they like entered the field in the first place and where they're like excited to come to class and learn something. Yeah, it's, it's possible to learn well under less stress it, it's definitely possible it's you know what though? Yeah. it's a hard it's a hard balance even as a professor though it's something that because you right. i've had nice professors but i was like god your class is terrible so it's like you gotta <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough balance so yeah i, I totally That's agree true. i, yeah. I kind of want to go into academics down the road um oh, cool. I, I think you know i want to i want to practice i have some businesses i want to open up and things like that but i think maybe on the side towards retirement or just later in my career i want to teach a bit and I think, like you said, just make the make it a good environment. And I, I think I had a professor in grad school that always gave, we had a five days a week class. And oh, this was undergrad, excuse me, but we had five days a week. And he just always gave us Fridays off. He's like, if I can't cover oh. it in four days, he's like, if I can't cover it in four days, what difference does it make? That's what he would tell us. He's like, <laughs> just have the day. You, know, you guys are young. You don't need to come here. So just uh, enjoy your day. So he's oh like, my if gosh. you uh, yeah, he's like, you know, if you're mad because you paid for five days and you're only getting four, then you can come to my office and we'll talk, you know. Oh, so. my gosh. So humble of him as well to be like, if I can't cover it in four, then, like, there's a problem. Exactly. And it was an immunology course, but he was the man. He was awesome. Oh, so yeah, yeah. It was cool. But those four days were tough. <laughs> Let's not get that. <laughs> I'm sure, but, yeah. But he was great, though. So that'll be you. You'll be the same way. 
Oh, thank you. The memorable one. That was kind of, that was like eight years ago I took his class maybe. So it's like, yeah. I still remember him. So. Right. Even like high school, I can think back to like a Spanish teacher I had in high school who like, it just felt like a friend was teaching the class. And I like loved going to class. He was so funny. Uh, I feel like they just stick with you. And I loved that. I decided to major in it. Yeah. There you go. How is your Spanish nowadays? Do you get to use it at work a lot? Oh man, no. <laughs> That's, <really laughs> That's like something I want to reach back into. Um, in college, like I would volunteer at this um, like free health clinic as an interpreter and I like was trained with like my medical interpreting training certificate and I received that and that was like I'd say the height of my Spanish and then like once I started the social work program it was just like a whole other field that I dived into for the first time and I feel like my Spanish like slowly trickled down but there are some times where I'm like in the office and if there is like a Spanish patient or like someone who calls who's Spanish speaking and I'll like get to pick up the phone and speak in Spanish and it's fun to see like what has stuck and what I need to warm up on mm -hmm. but yeah not nearly as much as before oh man I I feel you I, I like I never I was I was almost fluent when I was younger I did study abroad and I, I was in Dominican Republic oh, for like six months wow. and that really helped and I was close yeah. before that but that really pushed me over but that slowly yeah. just declined over the years of not using it every day yeah and so yep. like, I'll forget just one word I always can never remember is like fork and spoon. Oh, excuse me, spoon. I remember fork, <laughs> but I can never remember spoon. It's like cu cuchara, cuchillo right? And, cu yeah, cuchara, cuchillo yeah. is knife, right? And then cuchara <laughs> yeah. and spoon, and then tenedor is is um is knife. I mean, fork. Oh my gosh, I, just, I like, forgot about fork. Yeah. Yeah, I can <laughs> never remember it. Even when I used to wait tables in high school, I'd be like, "Crap, what is?" They would ask me for you know, tenedor, and I'm like, "What is a tenedor?" And I'm like, just bring oh, them all three. Yeah, yeah, I just bring all three. <laughs> so. It's it's true. If you don't lose it, you, know, you don't use it, you lose it. So yeah, I agree. It's tough, but so what about outside of work? When you're when you're on your free time, what do you do for fun? Yeah, I feel like I have this growing love for cooking and baking. I think that's just like one one way that I like show love towards people too is by like cooking for them or baking something and giving it to them. So that I love to do. Um, also like when we spoke on the phone before, but like just spending time outdoor with my dog, I like being outdoors or cooking. When I was little, I loved art. So I loved painting. My grandpa was an artist and my mom has like really great art skills. Um, and my grandpa taught me when I was like five years old and I just loved art growing up. But once I started college, that just like, I just didn't really touch it anymore. Um, so I'd love to just warm that back up to alongside the Spanish. <laughs> what type of, <laughs> yeah, alongside the Spanish. <laughs> I was just going to ask, like, what type of, um, <laughs> sorry, the, the Spanish thing got me again. But uh, what type of art, like, do, do you have a um, you have a time period or, like, a style that you like or kind of just everything? I love using, like, acrylic paints. I mm. feel like that's just, like, where I keep gravitating towards interesting so yeah. what do you kind of what do you plan like landscapes uh creative pieces or memory pieces what do you like to do yeah so when i was little my grandpa taught me to just like look at something and draw exactly as you see it even if you feel like it doesn't belong just like draw it anyway and he was like great he has an art gallery in india and he he's just like he was brilliant um and like my mom too like she makes like these beautiful like realistic paintings um, and so I feel like drawn to paint things that I've seen. So whether it's like a certain animal or like a certain flower, 
or yeah, like you said, a landscape that's like really beautiful. Or even if I just like see something online, like a beautiful landscape online and then trying to paint that. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I would love to be artistic in that sense, but my hands just get like, <laughs> I don't know what they, what was it? You, you, heard, like, you heard the saying, like when someone's a bad dancer, you have two left feet. It's like, I have like two left yeah, hands, yeah. but neither of them works you know, even marginally so well. It's terrible. So that's awesome though. And then what about like appreciation of, you know, viewing art? Do you have a particular style that you like? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I don't really have the art expertise <laughs> to okay. be able to answer that question well but. you know that's cool because like in most things you know people are just consumers you're a producer you don't have time to be a consumer you're just out here making, <laughs> you're out here making good art so you don't have time to worry about that that's cool yeah barely have time to be a producer so we're getting there <laughs> exactly yeah exactly that's <laughs> and i remember you said you have a pomeranian right yeah well yeah good memory well how did you settle on that one is it he or she he he, he. how'd you pick him sparky yeah yeah which is like perfect because his hair is everywhere um but when i i got him when i was 16 i'm 26 now he's almost 10 years old we got him when he was two months old um wow. and so we've had him for a long time yeah and actually so i was supposed to have this like big 16th birthday party my dad like promised me when i was a little kid that he would set up this grand 16th birthday party and so we were planning it for a while and then like closer to my birthday, my grandpa got sick and he ended up being fine. But around the time like he was in the hospital and so we were like, okay, we should, definitely should not have this party. Mm-hmm. And then my dad gave me the option. He's like, okay, we can either reschedule the party or you can get a dog. And I was like, oh my God, the dog for sure. And so my <laughs> brother and I like... We were like figuring out dog names. We didn't even know what kind of dog we wanted. I think my parents were like, it has to be small. We don't want like a big dog. And so my brother and I were like, okay, we like the name Sparky. And then we were looking online. We like saw this website for like this breeder and there was this tiny little dog named Sparky. So he had already had the name before we got him. Um, And we just loved him. He was so cute. And I remember like going to the breeder to pick him up and he was like barely two pounds. He was so small. He could like fit in the palm of like one of your hands, you know. Wow, so that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you have a dog as well, right? I do. Her name's Lila. I got her when I lived in Miami. Um, she's awesome. She's she's cool. I won't say she's cooler than Sparky because it's just different, <laughs> you know. But yeah. I'm biased, so you know. <laughs> yeah, me too. But uh, she's a little bit bigger. She's about fifty pounds. So. Oh wow! Yeah, Sparky's eight. Oh god, he's like a little <laughs> handheld. Like, yeah, handheld. he's a ball small. of fluff. Yeah. <laughs> Let me yeah. ask you a question. Is it raining there? It is. I know. Can okay. you hear it? Shoot. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. I was just like wondering what it was. I was like, that's a lot. Yeah. It sounds like it's coming down pretty hard. I know. I had a feeling it might. I was hoping it wouldn't, but it is. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> all good. It. Yeah. It's all good. So or I, I'm in the mountains in North Carolina for residency and it's rained, you know, not for like all day, but just like at least for like a couple minutes every single day since I've been here. Wow. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, they told us that this environment is called a temperate forest, so they get oh. uh, just crap ton of rain every every day. So it's like, all right, oh cool, wow, yeah. So then you come out and it's like the ground's wet, but the sun is just beating down on you. So yeah, it's not, it's not too bad. I can't say that can't happens say here sometimes too, where I look outside and it's pouring, and then I like go down, do a little work, I look up, it's blue sky, so sunny, no <laughs> clouds, and I'm like, how <laughs> it changed so right? fast. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's funny. So. <laughs> What about, I, gotta, I think we talked about this on the phone. One of my favorite questions is, what did you get in trouble for as a kid? Oh, 
I, oh my gosh, I don't even know. I feel like my parents were like very strict with me growing up. Uh, so it, it wasn't really an option to like be a bad kid. <laughs> um, and like my, I have an older brother and I feel like he was always like the one that tested the limits and like had fun and stuff. And I was like the younger one that like followed like a goody two shoes that like followed all the rules. Um, I feel like that just stuck. So I can't even remember any times that I like really got in trouble. Um, yeah, I definitely lucked out being the second child too. I feel like the first child always gets it so much harder. See, I don't know. I'm an only child, so I just caught all the. Oh, <laughs> I caught you got everything. everything. Yeah, yeah. There was no experimenting. It was just like we're gonna make sure nothing. You don't do anything stupid to ruin your future. And, oh. I mean, I, I rebelled and I tried. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> luckily it all worked out. So. <laughs> I can remember one time I got in trouble. This is like the smallest thing in the world, but I was in kindergarten and um, my mom gave me like paper and some uh, colored pencils. And she's like, okay, you cannot just like scribble on the papers. If you want to draw, like you have to actually draw something. Don't waste paper. And I was like, okay. And she left and I just wasted paper, scribbled (laughs) on everything. And then she came back and she's like, what is this? And I was like, oh, I drew fireworks. So I can just like remember that time as a time I was like Fire a little, yeah. That's pretty little funny. lying, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I drew fireworks. It's just like <laughs> the paper is demolished. Yeah, like every paper. <laughs> That's funny. I uh, talk about being little and drawing. It reminds me of I was in like second grade, and I used to take you know those erasers, those chunk erasers we used to have. Oh yeah. I used to just like sit at my desk and break it apart, and then I would take like a big like, take a chunk and just like chuck it behind me and like not look though you know and one day i hit this kid in the eye oh no oh my gosh what are the chances (laughs) i know right like it's one thing to hit someone like in the hand or in the face or something but not it was like it was like legit bad and everyone narked on me right away like ever did it ever did it and i got in a lot of trouble for that one that was dumb but uh it sounds so satisfying to break an eraser in half though Oh, it was like I'd break in I've like eight pieces. That. Yeah, I'd break in like eight pieces. So I get like eight tosses. You, I, would, I used to do that all the time. Kids. Yeah. And like, but then usually my friends sat on each side of me, so they would never narc on me. But that particular oh. day, we were like in a different room, and I had like the narcs of the class sitting next to me. <laughs> and yeah, I got in trouble, and my mom was not happy. Oh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And then from then on, if my teacher ever saw me just, you know, just fidgeting and breaking up an eraser, she would thought I was throwing it again. So she, yeah, would, I would like, get in trouble. I, yeah. I would get in trouble. She's like, no breaking erasers. Like, That's not even a school rule. <laughs> it's not even fair, you know? That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's not even fair. So, but it is what it is, you know, so. But I'm glad that you had the, the peaceful childhood because I, I hear that if you're a nightmare of a kid, you get it back tenfold when you become a parent. Oh, so. really? That's the that's the myth I've heard. Hopefully it's not true. <laughs> You're gonna get some like erasers thrown at you as a parent. Oh god! I, if, <laughs> if my kids anything like I was as a child, I'll be so miserable. <laughs> I don't know how my parents did <laughs> that's it. So, funny. <laughs> uh, so they're they're pretty cool, I guess. But uh, what about like a superpower? If you could pick any, even I'll give you multiple. Like you can pick two superpowers. What would you do? Ooh, yeah, I love this question. Um, I feel like I'd love to be able to like know what someone is feeling and I don't remember the was it the Avengers where there's like that one person with like the antennas I should know this I'm sorry I oh don't. that's um but she'll, like Guardians of the Galaxy Guardians of the Galaxy exactly yeah. yeah and she can like touch their face and she like knows exactly what they're feeling that 
I would love to be able to do that. That's a scary one. That's a scary power right there. (laughs) (laughs) It was so cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a lot of control you have over people. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, you know, if someone's like having a really bad day, but they just don't want to talk about it. And then you can just like have an understanding of what happened, but like still not go there with them. But then you're just like, no, I don't know. I think it's so cool. That yeah. sounds like such a social worker answer. You're using that completely yeah, right. for good. I'm over here thinking, like, yeah, I can, I can make sure my friends aren't lying. I can make sure like, I can cheat in poker, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm like, I can cheat in poker with that move. And you're like, no, I just want to make sure my friends aren't, you know, having a bad day. Like, I didn't even, didn't even think about that. I should have thought that first, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first time I saw that movie, I was like, whoa, that's an option. That's so cool. But <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's for sure what I would want. That's an option. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I always, I think uh, telekinesis would be pretty cool, but so I've, I've, I've researched this obviously. So with certain people in comic books who have telekinetic powers, they can move things, right? But they yeah. can't fly. But some of them have it where they can move their own body, including their own body is included in their powers so they can make themselves fly. Whoa, that's so cool. Yeah, that would be like, if I had telekinesis powers, that would be what I'd want. Like, I can move the remote, bring it to my hand, but I can also just jump out the window and make myself just fly away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, There's nothing on TV. I'm just going to go outside. <laughs> just float around for a bit and lay, yeah. like, lay back like I'm in a hammock, just 40, 50, 150 feet in the air. Oh, no man. Deal. That'd be so yeah. cool. I Take feel like I wouldn't, though. With me. Oh, that'd be so fun. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty cool, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't handle heights, so I feel like I wouldn't be able to do that. Oh, I'm terrified of heights, but if it yeah, was right? in that only in that scenario, would I be okay? Yeah, I see. If yeah. it's like in your control and like you can choose what you're hovering above. Yeah, I can say you know go away gravity. Otherwise, gravity always wins, and that's why I'm so afraid yeah. of heights. You know. Yeah. See. Yeah. Like those cringe videos where people are jumping across building like building. Tops, oh my you know? gosh. Yeah. Oh. Where they show like the angle of their foot, you know, and like every step they're taking, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, my feet are shaking and I'm just watching. Or the ones where they actually jump off. <laughs> like they yeah. jump in like, the river below and stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. This perfectly solid ground where you just left. Why would you do that? I know, I just walked back down. Yeah. Yeah. It's like people who choose to skydive. Like, what are you doing? I don't know how people do that. I think that's just so incredible. I would not I think, be able to do that. I think I would, I'd probably get hurt because I would just land unconscious and I wouldn't pull my shoe because I would just pass out. Oh no. Pure terror. <laughs> 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 I feel flooded. like I would just never jump. I would just stay up there until it comes down. We had to do we had to do a ropes course uh, for you know orientation for team building. It was actually really fun looking back on it. But this one uh, lady and I, one of my resident co-residents, we were like, "Oh, sweet!" So they have it. When you start, there's like eight different paths you can go on. Each one's difficult, more di- more and more difficult. We went in the second hardest one first. Everyone else took like a level A. We took level like F. And oh my gosh. We got like halfway through and I'm like 70 feet in the air. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> like, oh my God, oh it was terrible. Yeah. But at the very ending, you're on like an, you hook yourself into like an automatic belayer. So you just step off this ledge. It's like 80 feet in the air. And all you have to do is just step oh off. Oh my and it'll, gosh. It'll, it'll lower you down. But like that one was the most fear I had the entire course because it's just, you're putting 110% faith in this little device. And it's like, I kept telling yeah. myself, I'm standing there. And I was like, just step, just step, just step. And I yeah. couldn't do it. And oh, the, yeah. the woman who I went with, you know, we were at the same time, we were partners. 
she went before me and she stood there for like 10 minutes and she cried and she couldn't get off and finally she finally did it and she was like oh my god she screamed so loud when she took that step and then i was like oh you're just over exaggerating then as soon as i hooked myself in i'm like wait a minute now i have to do this and there's no way off besides just jumping off the auto belay so it was terrifying yeah heights not oh my, my gosh yeah i would not be able to do that either yeah heights are not my jam so that's yeah. funny uh so yeah i mean we just we just knocked on an hour isn't that crazy what? Oh my gosh, that went by so fast. Right? So maybe we'll I'll do the wrap-up questions and then we'll go from there. You want to do that? Yeah, that sounds good. All right, sweet. So I ask these to all of my guests every single time. And the first question is... Hold on one second. Let me make sure I get it in the right order. Pull them up. I have yeah. Up. All right, so the first question is, has working in the field of social work been what you expected? Ooh. I feel like I went into the field without knowing what it was. Um, so if I were to have any expectations, I feel like it, it was just like a big, pleasant surprise. So it, it definitely surpassed any expectations I would have had. Um, but I think also just like going in without any expectations and just like eager to explore might have made it a more enjoyable experience as well. Um, so, yeah, I think it was like a, it was a pleasant surprise. Okay, sweet. I like to hear that. And then as a, you've been in there for a while, you were doing your own thing. So what are, in your opinion, what are keys to success as a social worker? Yeah. So I think it's important to reflect. And I know I said that before, and sometimes it seems like so unnecessary, but I think reflecting is really what helps you to like not get desensitized to things. Um, so definitely taking the time to think about like what you've said or what the client said or what could have gone better, what might have hurt someone um, and taking the time to like do that reflection um, will definitely help to, to combat getting desensitized and being able to like give your full self each time. Okay, awesome. And then the third question is looking to maybe you know people on their way up coming up into the field of social work so maybe undergrads or people in uh, master's programs what's your advice to them as they get ready to enter the next step in their career Ooh, yeah so definitely like you know what i just said of course getting comfortable doing some honest reflecting also developing like strong writing skills a lot of the master's program is reading and writing lots of papers um and so yeah, building up those writing skills. I know <clears throat> in some positions I've gotten as well, one thing that they said they really look for is like just how you write your cover letter. So just like your writing style. And um, so building strong writing skills and then also just having an open mind about like working with different populations or in different settings. I know when <clears throat> I like first started working with that grief organization, before I had interviewed there, I like, it, it was like a potential internship spot and so um it like it was assigned to me and I had to interview and see if I would get it and when I was reading about it I'm like there's no way I don't want to work with death like I cannot handle that and then I like ended up going anyway just to like be professional and like keep the keep the interview and when I like went in I loved it like it was just nothing like I expected it would be and it definitely shaped like who I am as a social worker now in my career um and it's like, yeah, definitely one of the best experiences I've had. So having an open mind, um, getting comfortable with like things you might not see yourself doing and just having an open mind in different populations. Got you. 
that's like that's good for any field not just social work you know yeah 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 so the last question is let's say tomorrow you woke up and you were 10 years old and you had to do everything over again to get where you are today would you do it all over again yes a hundred percent even like knowing that i want to be in social work i'd still study biology and spanish as an undergrad and i'd go through the same path for sure a hundred percent but i think i would do it a little differently and that i'd be like much kinder to myself i feel like a lot of my undergrad memories are like at a desk in my room or like at Mm -hmm. the library and I like said no to a lot of like social events so going back I would do the exact same things but I'd allow myself to have more fun yeah yeah absolutely you know you could go back you you can't change anything because then you wouldn't end up on the podcast you know that's like the best part you know so that's that's, true yeah everything has to align (laughs) I totally agree though it's I think knowing what I know now, just being easier on myself, like you said, I, I like that even yeah. better, like being kinder to myself, because I was always hard on myself, like in high school about sports and college about getting grades, trying to get into med school. I was always really yeah. tough on myself and that can be counterproductive yeah. to an extent. So I think just kind right. of being accepting of yourself and who you are and kick butt the way, any way you can, you know, so exactly. yeah. everyone has their ways. Everyone has their ways. It's just different. So that's true. Yeah. Well, sweet. So let me ask you this. Do you have any any other pearls you want to drop or any questions for me? Yeah, actually, I wanted to learn just more about like what you ended up choosing. So I know you graduated. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and you're starting residency. So like, what's your goal? And like, what did you want to get into? Yeah, so I'm starting family medicine residency, and then that's three years. I'm going to do that, and then I'm doing a sports medicine fellowship after. That's one oh, year. Cool. So that is my plan. I Ultimately, I have a couple of venues I want to practice in. I want to do uh, concussion protocol research, so looking at, you know, how do we, can we, is there any way to diagnose or find signs of concussion and looking at kind of the effects of them as well. I also want to do just in general kind of injury healing modalities so you know you have acl surgery what can we do that would be a standard of practice for everyone to get better faster i have a lot of ideas with that i think for example post-op you know it's always like okay sit there and try to fire your quad but your quad's basically dead because all the nerves are severed at the time or they're just frozen so i think e-stem should be a huge part of recovery for acl tears for example because i think having had that surgery myself I think that would, I would have benefited greatly and gotten back to normal a lot faster, I think. So um, looking at recovery. What's oh, electric, electrical stimulation. Sorry. So basically oh, you, hook okay, up, gotcha. you hook up these electrodes and the machine uh, will fire for your muscle. It'll make your muscle do contractions and it'll do hundreds ah. of contractions per minute. Uh, and it, you don't have to do any active work. So me, after surgery, it would have taken me probably an hour to do 100 contractions, but I can sit there and get 100 within like a minute with that wow. um with that, with that machine and it's cheap it's like 150 bucks you know i think it should be a common part of rehab or at least do research as to why it's not you know why why don't we do that as a common part of recovery so that's kind of yeah. some of my goals things like that so um very yeah. cool that's so interesting yeah and I, I also want to do like urgent care stuff as well just so i don't lose the practitioner skills and yeah. it's also good money to help pay off my huge mountain of debt so oh, you know oh gosh yeah is. med school Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's like kind of my plan as of now. But plans change. So I'm being adaptable. Yeah. That's what I've laid out for myself. But if anything better comes along, I'll make sure I'm open minded to it. Yeah. Good for you. And good luck to you. I know this is like a big change in your 
professional life too. Um, but good luck to you as you navigate that as well. I appreciate it. So luckily I've had a job before. And so I, there's certain things that I kind of understand, but um, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of residents starting residency right now and they're going to get their first paycheck ever. And they're going to have a rude awakening about how taxes work. <laughs> so oh gosh, that's yeah. going to be tough. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everyone's always learning. Yeah, for good or for better or for worse, they're always yeah. learning. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. Um, anything else? Any other pearls or questions? No, that's great. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on and just your openness to learn about other fields as well. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. I cannot tell you how grateful I was to just read that message when you reached out. So I really appreciate that. And yeah, yeah I'm so glad we got to, we made it work and I'm, I'm super excited to get this episode out. It might take me a bit cause you know, I'm starting uh, in two days, but I'll keep oh, you gosh, posted yeah. and I'll let you know once everything's ready to rock and roll. That sounds good. And good luck to you. And you too. Well, thank you so <laughs> much again, Jasmine, and I'll be in touch. And just again, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. All right. That was Jasmine, medical social worker in Chicago. Thank you so much for tuning in. And to those in the game and those on their way up, keep grinding and don't let anyone take your dream away from you.